Welcome everyone for another podcast episode of Let's Chat About Death. Whatever you're doing at the moment, I hope you're having a great day or evening. Going to be joined by three very special people today. We have Jess and Tori and Simon. Uh, yeah, open if you want to say hello. It's up hello, to you. Hello. <laughs> hello. Um, yeah, so today's topic we're going to be talking about um, the professionals against the novices. So the, the old school funeral directors, ones that have been in the business a lot longer and the ones that have only been in it for a very, very short period of time. Now, obviously, Jess and I have been, well, I've probably out of all of you, been in the industry uh, 22 years. Jess is, what, 18 months or just after 18 months? Uh, Tori, you said three months, and Simon is the new recruit, um, which, you know, the, the chief bottle washer, etc., toilet cleaner, um, he, he has been here for one week and two days. Um, so, the probably the biggest thing out of um, how I look at people that are in the industry is, especially when they're very new, is coming into the industry and still having a public view of things. Um, but then once you're in it for a certain period of time, you then start to see our way of doing things, like how we deal with certain scenarios or that I think things change. Would you have to agree? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so what is it, Tori, that you feel has changed in your mind? Um, well, before I started, you just don't talk about death. You just, you never ever open that conversation with anyone. Yeah. I don't know if it was just because you had an omen that you could bring it to you. Yeah. But I would just never ever talk about it. Um, now, meeting you guys, like we obviously <laughs> we can't avoid discussing it. It is our job. But it's good to have that knowledge behind us. And, you know, my perception of death has changed. It's not as scary as it once was. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think it's just the perception that no one can talk about death or else you're going to die. Yeah, I, it's – yeah, the old the old ways of, yeah, is you start, you start talking about death or um, you start planning things, then, yeah, you're on the, you're on the road for um, – yeah, something's going to happen with your family. Um, how about you, Simon? You've been in here probably, like we said, very new to it all. Um, is there anything that you think's changed your mind about things? I think there's a lot that's changed my mind about death itself. Yeah. Such as, like Tori said before, nobody wanted to speak about death because it was a pretty morbid subject. Yeah. And nobody really wants to remember it. Like, you want to remember births and you want to remember weddings and yeah. things, but they're happy moments. Yeah. There's nothing happy about a loved one passing. Yeah. But unfortunately, it's a way of life. So, you know, coming into this industry, I th- was closed off to a lot of what does actually happen because... Like you said, it's not spoken about. No, no. So then how are you meant to know what goes on if you don't speak about it? But no, very true. It's definitely opened me <laughs> oh, up to be... Pardon me. <laughs> Sorry. It's definitely opened me up. I get nervous. Up. And when I get nervous, I start to make noises like that. Sorry. You get nervous <clears> around <throat> me, huh? <laughs> but, um, yeah. When you start talking about death, I get very nervous. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely opened me up to a lot more things. To yeah, it just opened me up too, but uh, that's yeah, right. Literally, so... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm here until but, Tuesday. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, 
you know, as the journey progresses, it's going to keep opening more and more and more up yeah. to the uh, to, to the thought of death itself. Yeah. To the point it becomes basically normal. I'm not saying it's not normal. It's no. just nobody likes talking about it. Yeah. But you know, I definitely have a better view of it now than what I did prior to coming into this. If industry. let's let's put a scenario like this, um, I, I guess your exposure has been fairly limited. You're right there, Tori. Very limited. Um, but, you know, when you think about what, what a cremation is now and seeing, you know, a coffin going into the cremator, um, I mean, there's another little section in the middle of that that you haven't seen yet, but that'll come. But has that... Did that open your eyes? It did. It's opened my eyes, but not in an intimidating way, even though when you first see it for the first time, it can come across quite intimidating. Yeah. But... It kind of opens up that curiosity side of my yeah. mind yeah. that makes you just want to know more. Yeah. Because once you start taking a glimpse into sort of like not the afterlife but the death sort of sector, you yeah. kind of want to know more and more and more. Yeah. So for me personally, it's come across as curiosity more than intimidating. So today you got to see your very first little stillborn baby. Um, and I know... You know, for, well, for a lot of people too, and I, I don't think it's something that, be it if you've got children or you don't have kids, I think it's always sad when you see um, this little precious little soul that um, wasn't able to to live a standard life uh, for whatever reason. Did, um, you know, from seeing him to what you thought it might have been, is it different? Honestly, I didn't picture it in any sort of certain way. I kind of no. expected... You know, when I saw or knew that there was a deceased baby here, yeah. I kind of just expected it to be roughly around that around that size. Yeah, right. Even okay. though it's it's still sad to see a, a deceased infant. Yeah. But um, it's kind of exactly how I would picture it, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. And Tori, um, what's your when you first saw your little little bub, your first one? What was that like for you? I don't think for me. Nothing could prepare me. Like, obviously, we went through it before Yeah. we, we did that. Um, and I've done a few now, and every time I see one, it still it still hits home like it's the first one. Yeah. Just because you don't ever want to see a coffin that small. They shouldn't be that small. No, no, it's um, very different. So, you know, when you see our mortuary table is huge. It's not huge, but enough to fit a full-grown human. Yeah. And then when you see one that doesn't even fit, you know, parts mm. of the table... It always hits a bit, bit different. Yeah, and your your opinion against burial and cremation. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about both of them now? Um, I just thought everyone gets buried. I knew people get cremated, but I thought burials were a lot more common. Okay. Yeah. But seeing the difference, honestly, it's not worth the extra, you know, ten grand to get someone buried for me. Yeah. Um, with the ashes, you can have them. At home, in a neck yeah. place. There's so many more options, whereas if they're buried, they're just there. Yeah. Um, so, uh, leading up to coming into this industry too, so you, you would have probably gone burial. Um, yeah, I would have. But then, at the same time, that cost would have had to go on to someone else. Yeah. And now I'm like, no. But what happens? Even... You're deceased. It doesn't matter then. <laughs> like, you, you hand it over to them. No, <laughs> no. Yeah, it is. It's the it's the leaving your loved ones with that 
that pressure of, you know, that's what they really wanted and but we may have to go into debt to do it, you know. Whereas the cremation, cremation is very clean, very, um, I don't know, like you said, you can take them anywhere, you can put them anywhere, you can extract them, you can do whatever, whatever you want. You can make diamonds now. Yeah. I don't know how I would feel with a diamond ring. Well, what happens if you lost it? <laughs> you know, like, well, someone breaks into your house and then steals your ring, you'd be just laughing because you thought... Would mm. that be reported as a missing persons case? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's pretty. Good. That's pretty good. Um, um, <laughs> actually, yeah, that's that's good. Um, how about you, Jess? When it came to uh, you coming into the industry, what what was your? Um, you probably have to think back the eighteen months now. Uh, a lot, a lot has sort of passed through your hands since then. My perception of the funeral industry was completely different from before I came in to once I was in and started learning the Australian way because I think a lot of the research that I had done was all based off the American funeral industry. Mm. That So, you know, we do things a lot differently here Um, and it's been a great thing. It's been a great thing to learn. Um, I would say one of the most important things that I have learned is detail is everything. Yeah. Detail. It's it's the little things that can turn a funeral service from a good funeral service to a great funeral service. And yeah, the the devil is in the detail, I think. Yeah. From from your opinion from burial or cremation? I've always been um probably leaning towards cremation regardless. Yeah. Um, But we were having a conversation yesterday about aquamation. So there's a couple of other different um, ways that people can be, I don't know, the the word's wrong, but disposed of. Mm. And even thinking about that, I had quite strong feelings that aquamation is not for me. Um, Just... In the description, so yeah, cremation is still very, um, very much like none of my family have been buried; they've all been cremated. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, aquamation. There is a, a aquamater, if I use that, um, that is over in New South Wales. Um, I think that's probably the only one in Australia. Um, now, for those people that don't know what aquamation is, we'll, we'll do probably do a podcast on that too. But aquamation is um, aqua, meaning obviously water, um, and then mation, meaning getting the job done. Um, so in the old days when, say, the native um, Indians and, and other native sort of cultures around the world, um, they used to actually put their loved one on riverbeds or river rocks so as the water would come down the hill they'd place place the deceased over that and over a period of time the um the deceased would start because obviously being waterlogged they would start their their skin and everything would start coming off um and it sounds terrible when you think about it but what what they believed was that they were going back to mother nature and that the the steps or the food chain 
was all getting fed by that person. So that person was always going to be a part of the land, right? So um, acclimation is quite similar. Not that we put your loved one in that area, but it's a big, um, big metal cylinder that your body goes onto, um, and you have high pressure jets that will then, you know, shoot you with uh, water. Uh, and there is a chemical that they use. Um, Hey. Yeah, yeah. So things like that that it's just that it's just fired at you. And I'm I'm not actually quite sure of how long that process does take, but I think it would probably be up towards the hour and a half, probably. No? Yeah, not for me. No. It's um All I can think of is like hot dogs in water. That's, oh that's yeah, the yeah, first yeah. Thing that and comes then and then the hot dog splits. Yeah, <laughs> and the skin The oh. skin comes off. So it, it's, yeah, look, they, they feel that the reason why it probably hasn't come into, into our state or in some of the other states is because even though, you know, with cremation, you know, they've got the EPI and all those type of things that control that, but there's a carbon tax on it, oh. right? Aquamation, there's no carbon on it. So you can't, like... It's running the water, but the water that, that, that they actually, um, you know, pretty much utilise as wastewater that then goes back or they filter it back to come back in. So there's nothing that the government, in theory, can really make any money off. Yep. Um, and the gentleman that does run it uh, has probably nearly 10 years in the making to try to get it. Yeah. Um, Well, yeah, you'd have to. I mean, I think with people that have donated their body to science, um, or donated towards something, that yeah, that you would have to utilise that, or a body that has already been dealt with, if that makes sense through science, that they can then, you know, that funeral home can then provide that as as an acclimation. So yeah, very very different. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it's a thing for me, but everyone's different, mm. you know. Um, so I, I, just to go back to obviously the the new the new newbies to the oldies. Um, I, I obviously, when I first came into the business, started with people that had been in it for thirty odd years. So it was like a very like a mentor situation where people would learn a lot about it um, through that and. Obviously, that's the way that I want to teach all of you is the same way as what I was taught because the more you learn about certain tricks in the business or certain ways to fix issues, if, you know, like if you knock the coffin or, you know, I don't know, rub marks or anything else like that that you can actually, especially if you're out on, on site, that you've got to be able to do that or even body prep in what we do, um, certain things. Everyone's going to have a different way of teaching um, but what I felt was the way that I was trained um, was really good. I, I don't think a lot of the new ones in, in other funeral homes do it exactly. Well, they don't. I, I can know that for a fact. But don't do it the way that we do it um, in our knowledge and the reason why we do things. It's more like, well, you just got to do this and that's it. Um, but the perspective, I guess, is the public view against what, we physically do as as professionals in our business 
you know. Um, I think that people that do come to funerals think that it's just easy. Just close them in a coffin, it's all good, wipe their face, all done, you know. They don't understand what goes involved in that whole process from, from transfer of their loved one all the way through to the final um, moment of release, be it burial or cremation. I don't, I don't think they truly understand a lot of that. Um, and then I've had people too that I've interviewed that, you know, they come into the business but they don't want to touch a deceased. It's like, well, that's part of your job. Oh, but I want to be a receptionist. Well, but you're going to have to touch a deceased. Like, you, you, you can't work in this industry without having to touch one. Or, you know, what happens if you go to a funeral or the receptionist has set one up or there's been some purging or anything else like that and then what do we do? Like, and no other conductor's going to get there in time. Like, how, how do we work that? Um, yeah, you were going to say something, Tori? I think what's really interesting is Simon came to us from a, kind of a transport company for yeah. the deceased, whereas now... We'll never rest until we do our best. Whereas now you work in an actual funeral home. What do you like? Is it much different? Is it completely different to what you thought it would be? Or yeah, absolutely. It's definitely completely different because when I came from a transport company that was part of the funeral industry, it was legit just pick up and drop off. Yeah, and that was my only job. I did have to deal with purge. I did have to apply face creams and things like that. So there was minor body prep. Yeah. And cleanliness and things like that. But not as much as what I'm exposed to now. No. You know? Um, but going through that transport side of it, it was kind of like a stepping stone, a yeah. baby step to what the funeral industry could be like and what I will mm. be exposed to at certain points during that journey. And that's what I'm really grateful for, even though, you know, the job didn't work out for me in that in that time. But it wasn't to do with being exposed to deceased or, or whatnot. Doing that job was the very first time I've seen a deceased at all. And did, did you find that hard? Honestly, no. I remember my first my first gig, my first job. I was being taught, so I just had to just follow my partner's lead. And we walked into a nursing home, and it was a big family there, big big uh, big family, big culture. And um, I had no idea what I what kind of I didn't know what the body would look like. I didn't know what kind of things I'd be exposed to. I just thought, you know, it might be just someone. But did your partner at the time explain that to you? Not really. Or was it just we're going there and then, yeah. It's more we're going there, this is what's going to happen, this is the procedure that we're going to follow and that's pretty much all it ran through. Mm. Everything else was kind of whatever I saw in my head could happen. Yeah, because I think, I think that, even that, is like they haven't been trained properly. At the end of the day, or they've become really lazy. So, you know, probably people over the years have said, you know, like I, even I probably questioned it. Well, why am I learning this? Why, why can't I drive the hearse? Why can't I do this within this period of time? It's like because you need to see it. You need to, you know, listen to what we're saying. You've got to learn all of these skills. And I'm going, I was like a kid in a candy store. No, 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 I'm going to drive the hearse. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. It's like... But now I understand why. I mean, now it's like when I think back at it, I think, well, you know, three to six months before driving a hearse is a bit ridiculous. But we all travelled in the same car. There was three of us. We wouldn't do that now. Like, it, it, we just can't physically do that. But I think, yeah, it's it's there's a certain skill to driving a hearse. 
there's a certain skill of driving a transfer vehicle. A, because you've got someone's loved one on board, but also you've got someone's name on the side. That's the other side, you know. And it probably teaches you a little bit more about road sense because you're more mindful of what's ahead of you, what's beside you, what's behind you, you know, not applying the brakes as much as what you normally would. So for me, for me it was very much, um, you know, when you get trained it should be done right from day one um, and, and not be slack about it. And it'll be like six months, 12 months down the track that you'll look back at it and you go, there was a reason for that. Well, you'll probably see that now, but... Um, you know, I'm not – like, I wouldn't train someone just for the sake of training them and going, well, ha, sucked in, you're going to learn that. It's like, no, there's a reason why I'm training you that way. So then whatever they've taught me has gone to me, then you put it on to you, you then, you know, down the track, you'll be teaching someone too and you'll be teaching it the way that I was shown, how you were shown, you know, and, yeah. Um, but I guess being – Simon, being in that, that role um, – prepared you but then you could have got really spooked by that too like there's the difference between the the view of someone being deceased on a movie like thing you know um even the perspective of what the fridges look like oh is there just drawers like we're just gonna pull drawers out no 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 that's totally different you know um yeah so Oh, Jess wants to talk. No, I'm spinning the <laughs> microphone around. One of the things that I have come across a lot in this industry is people's perception of what a deceased person looks like. Um, I've recently had this in my own family. So I think people have gone to funerals where there's an open coffin, um, open casket, or they've maybe been to a viewing. Now, their loved one is in the coffin or in the casket and they look beautiful because of what we've done in terms of mortuary prep. So, you know, we make sure that we set their features, they are dressed, their hair's done, you know, corrective makeup, all of that, all of that stuff. But when someone has passed away, you know, in a nursing home, at home, mm. they don't look like that. No, they don't no. look like oh, no. that. You know, it, Sometimes death is not kind to people. It's our job to to make them, you know, I guess give them back that little bit of dignity and, and make them look great. Yeah. But the first person that I saw um, here when I came was the first person I saw without their features being set. I'd only ever seen people um, once they've been prepped. Yeah. And it was a it was a big eye opener because I'm like, oh my goodness, they've, you know, this person looks like they've they've died a horrible death. Yeah. It wasn't <laughs> me thinking, yeah. you know, that their muscles have just relaxed and, you know, it's a very natural. It's a very very natural thing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I. I think that's what you got to get used to too. I I look at it as though the person comes in, you go, all right, well, they're looking a bit average. But I know that we're going to do everything in our power to make them look how they should. Yeah. Um, you're not going to get them back to their alive state, um, but we're going to do everything in our power to make sure that if that family's going to view, or even if they're not going to view, that they get that they get that dignity and that respect and the wash and the dress and whatever else like that. So, um, and but you know, I still 
I think even when you came in, Jess, and even Tori, like it was like, you know, we start at the feet. I'm going to show you the feet. Feet can be pretty damn ugly, <laughs> you know, and how – I don't know. I don't know. But you think about it, it's probably it's probably the most used item on the body. Same with hands. But hands, you just put moisturiser and all that. But feet, you know, you oh, – it's like I'm just even thinking about some of them. Um, but even if they've been in care, like – Gone are the days of people looking after them. Like, it doesn't happen anymore, you know, and they've got scaly feet or they've got smelly feet mm. or, yeah, it's pretty gross, yeah. some of what we get. Um, but I, uh, you know, show the feet, show the legs, you know, a bit of, um, you know, if they've been on warfarin or any of those blood thinners, you know, the bruising on the arms. And then we get to the stomach, you know, and it might be discoloration there or it might be bloated. And then you make your way up to the head. It used to be, oh, head first. And I believe that head is probably the last – well, it is. It's the last thing that you really want to see because you've already started that, that lead up to that. So you're preparing yourself for that. Whereas if I started at the head, you could be on the ground by the time I, you know, moved down to the chest, you know. Um, because of that open mouth or the way their their teeth are or their eyes are still looking at you or mm. um, they might still have a catheter in. They might, you know, like it's just so different. I have a bit of a chuckle every time we watch a TV show now or a, or a movie and someone passes away and then someone will brush their hands just slightly <laughs> over their eyes and their eyes close. Yeah. Let me tell you that doesn't happen. Yeah. Once those eyes are open, they're open. Yeah. They're, yeah. Yes. Um. <laughs> I go down the hard way. Yeah. yeah you know, I, I remember um, transporting a deceased to a funeral home and as I was applying face cream, I thought, you know, I'll do, I'll close the eyelid. It just spring back open again. <laughs> and I just kept doing it until I gave up. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, I'm but not see, too that's, sure. That's where your partner should be saying there's a reason for that. This is what you need to do to stop that from happening. But what's more terrifying is that when they die with their eyes shut and you see them with their eyes shut, but then the next time you see them, one of them's open, you're like, oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about oh, you, but... What, what, was that? what was that, Tori? <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> I think that's, that's what throws me more. <laughs> we'll edit that out. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Stra strange things. Um, and... You know, even some of those other podcasts we've done, even on the paranormal side, things that happen in our in our care centre, that yeah, you see them on movies, but it definitely happens here, and um, you just got to be you got to be prepared for that. Um, the, I mean, what I, I I'll ask this, Tori. So being out on a funeral now, right? So you being behind the scenes, um, when you first started, what what was it like? You were taking it all in or like? The first, so I'm one of those people that I cry when other people cry. Yeah. And I know that's what a lot of people say to me. Oh, I don't know how you do it. I would cry. Here's the thing. I still cry at funerals. Yeah. I'm in the back. No one's looking at me. But I have a bit of a cry when the photo presentation comes on and there's sad music. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? But now it's because when we get people in our care, if I do the mortuary prep and they're at their funeral, it's like I've cared for this person. I've got that connection with them. Yeah. 
and like you do get sex. It's the last time anyone's ever to see this person. Mm. Um, so I think when I first started, I'm like, oh my goodness, like what is this? Yeah. And then everyone was like, I didn't know the person in the. It was my first day. We had a funeral. But everyone was leaving, everyone was crying, and then I started crying. I'm like, what am I doing here? Um, but now I think I, I'm a bit, I hold that back a little bit until we get in the hearse at least. I think what you do is when you come on to is you're listening word for word yeah. and you're so attentive to what you're doing. Now, that doesn't mean that when you've been there for a long time that you, you disengage from it. The difference is you can go and do other things while you're still listening so you know exactly where you're up to while you're packing up the book or you might be doing this or, you know, Jess might be saying, oh, well, we now need to do this. But you already know where it is. So you're you're hearing it. Um, and I think the day that people don't get emotional, then be out of the industry. Don't be in it. There's no point because you've, you've lost it, you know. Um, and I'm not saying that that's a journey that, that they've made by themselves and, and, you know, it's just something internal that... It's not right for them anymore. Let them go and be a bus driver or, a, you know, whatever. Whatever they want to do. But, um, I mean, Simon, you've been on... Um, how many funerals have you been on now? Two funerals. Two. Yeah, one that we got absolutely drenched. Yep. Uh, and and I, we got back into the car and I said, the life of a funeral director will just let you outside in the rain and sleet and snow and whatever. Um for you being on those funerals, was that was that different for you? Obviously, you're not in the pews or anything else like that. But what's the? It was definitely different experiencing a funeral from a different position. Yeah. Because usually I would be in the pews or I'd be next to family or something like that. But to be actually assisting on someone else's funeral and yeah. trying to give them a really good experience made me realize why I want to be in this industry. Yeah. Because I've always wanted to help people and things like that, but you always hear of the the typical person becoming a nurse or mm. becoming, you know, a doctor or something like that. But you never really hear about people becoming funeral directors. Just just no. out of the blue. <laughs> Especially when you like I came from warehousing. Yeah. Yeah. So for me to go from warehousing packing boxes eight hours a day to coming into becoming a funeral director and helping families that way, it's a big change. Yeah, it is, definitely. And, you know, it's definitely opened me up even more as a person to be able to connect with public and really empathize with people. You know, mm. show that empathy. Give, give, you know, because not everyone can handle a, a funeral. And yeah. Sometimes, for someone to be strong, they just need to see that other person being strong, no matter yeah. how old they are, no matter their gender. As long as they see them being strong, yeah. that might be the only ticket they need yeah, to be strong true. with them. Yeah. Kind of like bonding together. Yeah. In a way. You know, and and like Tori said, you know, when we have someone in our care, you kind of gain an attachment to that individual. And then when you're there from the start to the finished service and you're with the family and everything, mm. then you can really be grateful for what you do. Yeah. Knowing the inside and outs. Yeah. So, no, you'll always, I think, your very first of everything you'll remember and we'll, you'll hear that all the way through podcasts. It's all about, you know... Just because you don't remember 100% every single funeral doesn't mean that you haven't cared. Um, but it's definitely a, you know, any time I've spoken to people that haven't been involved or haven't had much about funerals, it's always that, like what Tori said too, about, oh, you know, I don't know how you do that. Well, you could probably do it. Oh, no, I couldn't. 
yeah, you could. You've just got to change your your thinking of it, you know. And yes, we're dealing with someone's loved one, but on one side, you don't know them fully yet. But what an honour you've got to deal with that person, you know. Um, you become part of their journey, so it's always good to hear from from people that have only been in the industry a very short period of time of how things change. And like three months for you, Tori, you know, where you're at now compared to your first week on the job, you know, where you had everything coming at you. Um, yeah, it's just, just different, different. I think after my first week, and I used to be pretty stone-faced. I didn't have a lot of emotion. Yeah. But now whenever I see a mate, whenever I see, you know, family, all the time, oh, I love you. Yeah. Because you see people on your table and like, they're my like they're my mum. They're my dad's age. Yeah, and like you just never know. You make you make yeah. You have a look at where you're at in your life, and it makes you appreciate life a, a hell of a lot more. And you know, I love you is not always you know a common thing in a lot of families. And I love you has a, a whole new meaning. But yeah, it makes you go home and squeeze that person tight, and because you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, you know. Um, so I think we're very privileged to be in what we do in in this side, um, both emotionally, physically. Um, I don't know, it's... Yeah, the, the other thing is why do you do it? Like, yeah, I love helping people, but there's more to that, you know? Like, that's only just one little component. I don't know. Um, why do people like funerals, what we do, you know? Um... I think Jess, you had, you've always had a, an interest in getting into it. What do you reckon started your your journey? <laughs> I uh, look. Wanting to get rid of people? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, that came If I'm later. in the industry, then later. things might be very different. <laughs> so when I was younger, just a disclosure: we under no circumstances <laughs> do we get rid of people we don't like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> When I was Not younger, yet, anyway. no. <laughs> I loved the movie My Girl. Yeah. Um, you know, Never seen that. I don't, no. I don't know how you're a funeral director and you haven't seen Never. It. Is it sad? It's really sad. No, well, I won't watch oh it. Oh, my God, it's so no. sad. No. But that movie, and I'm sure every, everyone that has seen it, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis was the hairdresser in the, you know, hairdresser and makeup artist going for a job in the family funeral home. Yeah. And I always wanted to be, like, you know, a hairdresser. I wanted to be Jamie Lee Curtis, but I wanted to be a hairdresser to the deceased people. And then the more I watched that movie as I got older, I wanted to be Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> like, I yeah. want to be the funeral director. Um, anyway, I, I left school pretty early, became a hairdresser, and I have done that my whole life until yeah. coming into this job. Wow. Wow. Um, it's like... Hairdressing years are like dog years. So yeah. I've been a hairdresser for about 450 years. Um, but it was always in the back of my mind. Always. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, – yeah. Mine, mine stems back obviously from when I was a little tacker as well. But I don't know. I don't know. I just think the universe knows when it's the right time for it. Yeah. I think that's that's a good thing. But – you know, it's once you're in the industry, you don't really want to get out of it. 
And once they go, oh, you know, I can go and do this, I can do that, and they leave, then they realise how hard it actually is outside, um, you know, where you're regimented, you know, tea break here. Start at this time, tea break here, get back onto the phones or on the computer, lunch break, bang, 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 and you do that. Like even, you know, Simon, you've come from the warehousing side, you know, that, that whole... Um, you know, we've got to get this amount of stock out. We've got to get those pallets done. We've got to, you know, stick this up here. We've got to do that, you know. Very regimented. No care in the world. Tends to be with a lot of staff. You could put your 100% in. But, you know, Barney that's been out on the piss the night before, he's just hiding from the boss, hiding in the racks because he don't want to get himself caught. You know, it's just, yeah. That side, we, ca we can't do that here. Like, we can't be... You've got to be at your wits all the time. You, you've got to do that. So, um, yeah. Anything else, guys, before we wrap up? Yeah, and just one other thing is that being a funeral director or working in the funeral industry itself is not your typical nine-to-five job. Most people think you just come in, do yeah. your work and go home. Yeah, and It's exactly. not the case exactly. because death itself doesn't even have a time on it. No. Whereas, you know, me coming from warehousing, you know, I can just start at 8, 8 a.m., finish at 5 p.m. or whatever it may be, and whatever happens at work stays at work, whereas this, yeah. it kind of keeps them ongoing. Yeah. I find death does have a time, like a, a clock per se, um, and it's normally when you're nearly home after sitting in peak hour traffic <laughs> for an hour and the phone will ring and you've and got to turn around and go around, all the way back. back. Or but coming back in is probably not the problem. It's the going back going out again. again. Yeah, um, especially if it's only a half-hour transfer. It'll be just as you're about to take your first bite yeah. of a really good dinner. Yeah, or and you could have been out. That's yeah. like, oh. Or just Garlic as you're bread. about to fall asleep. Boom, no. the phone rings. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 So, no, no it, it you, times itself when you quite run. well. <laughs> <laughs> ring, ring. Yeah. yeah. Lovely. All right. Well, look, I think what we'll do, folks, is we're going to wrap that up for another Let's Chat About Death podcast. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I hope you can join us again. Uh, share it to all your friends. Uh, we're on Facebook, Brember Family Funerals. We're on Instagram. We're on TikTok, all under Brember Family Funerals, B-R-E-M-B-E-R. Um, love to hear from you on any of those socials. But until next time, bye for now.